Well, good morning. You know, I've uh, seen a lot of homes listed for sale, and I always kind of enjoy looking at them in the process, and it's, it's fascinating to me what people take pictures of and emphasize in their listing to attract buyers to their home. Uh, there's often comments about the size of the yard or that it's a corner lot. The primary suite is, is highlighted as long as, along with anything that's, that's updated, the kitchen or bathroom updates that's new and shiny and, and renovated. Dual zone HVAC is always a plus if you can get that in there somewhere. And anything that you think will be an attraction for the buyers is, is listed there. And often, there are things included in the purchase of a home if the, the, the bigger ticket items, you know, the refrigerator, the washer, the dryer, those big appliances that might be a little expensive to purchase right off the bat after you just buy a really expensive home. But I never really see the dining room emphasized. I never really see a table included in the sale of a home. And the more I think about the table and my experiences with the table, this is where so much happens. This is where meals happen. This is where conversations happen. This is, this is where, where life has happened. As I think about my life, I, I remember sitting around the table doing homework as a kid and, and my mom or dad or whoever was with us that afternoon helping us with our homework. I remember so many family meals around this table, Thanksgiving and Christmas and birthdays and, and family dinners just on a random Thursday night because we were all together and, and how impactful that was to my life. It was around a table after sharing a, week, a meal with who would end up being my future in-laws that I asked for their blessing to marry their daughter. Anytime we go to my parents' house to spend some time with them, we put the kids down and we come back to the table and we play cards and we play games and we, we fellowship together and, and we just enjoy being around the table together with everyone. Hannah and I have sat around our table dreaming about the future, what retirement will look like, what our futures will look like with kids, and what we hope that our kids become as they grow up in this world. And, and so much has happened around a table. There's also been a lot of hard that's happened around the table. We've gotten some bad news around the table. Hannah and I have had a lot of really hard parenting conversations around the table with, with our kids, but as we're foster parents with other kids who have been in and out of our home. Hannah's shared with me ways that I hurt her and didn't know it as we sat around the table together. The table has become in our family and in my life, a key centerpiece of our home. And as we're wrapping up the book of Matthew today and for the next couple weeks, the table is where it all starts, where it all centers, where it all revolves around. 
For the last few months, we've been in the book of Matthew, and we've been seeing how Matthew describes Jesus and and shares about his life and ministry and everything that we've talked about up to this point, starting back in August. If you've remembered everything that we've talked about from August, all leads back to this table in this moment right here. If you remember from the last series in the last few weeks, Jesus and his disciples have been on their way to Jerusalem for what will be the last time. Jesus knows that the time is coming to an end that he has with his disciples in this world. And so he's sharing with them, here are the things that I want to make sure you know before the end comes. And then towards the end of Matthew, we see them coming into the city of Jerusalem and we see them finding a place to have a meal together. And it's not just any meal, but the Passover meal. And they gather around a table and they enjoy this meal together as, as the Jewish people have for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. You see, Passover is a yearly celebration. Um, and, and if I had to boil it down, I would say it's a, it's a remembrance and participation in what God had done for his people years ago. Years ago, when the Israelites were enslaved in Egypt, they cried out to God for help. And 400 years later, God sends Moses to go before Pharaoh and to say, let my people go. And at first he says no. So he sends 10 plagues. God sends 10 plagues upon Egypt to try to encourage Pharaoh to let his people go. And for the first nine of them, there's a combination of the Egyptian magicians and and sorcerers and people were able to replicate to some degree the plague that was happening all, all across the land. And they were able to replicate it to some minor degree or another, or it was too much for the Pharaoh. And so he said, okay, leave, leave my land. But then when the plague left, Pharaoh changed his mind and wouldn't actually let them go. And then it all came down to this 10th and final plague. When the angel of death was going to come throughout the land and take the life of every firstborn son. And Moses went to the people of Israel and said, here's what you do in preparation. Pack everything up, get ready to go, and let's have a meal together. He told them to to kill a lamb and to take some of the blood of the lamb and paint it on the doorpost of their home. So when the angel of death came, it would pass over their home and not enter into it. And so we have this term of Passover to remember God's provision, his deliverance of his people from slavery in Egypt. And Passover is a meal. Think, think of your, your birthday dinner or Thanksgiving or Christmas where there just seems to be a little bit more food than, than a typical dinner where there's a little bit more of the favorite food around the table, where all your friends and family are gathered together, and and it seems to just be a little bit more. And then towards the end of that meal, they have the Seder plate with about a half dozen or so different things on the plate where they not just remember, but in a sense participate. They step into the shoes of their ancestors who were enslaved in Egypt, and, and, and they join them in various ways. So one of the key aspects of, of this plate is, is a leafy green, usually parsley, that's been, that they dip then in salt water. And they eat that, representing the tears that their ancestors cried often as they were enslaved in Egypt. Uh, there's a bitter herb that they eat to remind themselves and step into the shoes of their ancestors of, of the bitterness of slavery that they experienced. There's a, a sweet 
uh, dish of apples and nuts and cinnamon and honey. And the color represents the mortar of the bricks, but the sweetness reminds them of the deliverance of God bringing his people up out of slavery. There's all kinds of cups, and they all have different meanings and, and represent different things. And not only is it a way of remembering what God did for his people, but allowing them to step into the shoes of their ancestors and, and be there and participate in this way. And this is the context of the meal that Jesus is having with his disciples when he starts a new tradition. And in Matthew chapter 26, 26 to 28, he says, now, after, now as they were eating, Jesus took bread and after blessing it, broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, take, eat, this is my body. And he took a cup and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them saying, drink of it, all of you, for this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. And this is what we go back to as the start of what we refer to as communion or the Lord's Supper. And this is the, the environment in which Jesus instituted this. And communion in the same way that Passover was a remembrance and participation, communion too is not just a remembrance, but it's a participation in the death of Jesus Christ. Now, to understand this fully, we have to go back some time to Genesis chapter 12. Do you remember what happened in Genesis chapter 12? God came to Abram, Abraham, before his name was changed, to Abram and said, hey, I want you to follow me. I am calling you to follow me. And the, co the covenant that was being made is that God would be their God and they would be his people. And they were, they were promising this. And in Genesis chapter 15, we see this amazing, beautiful covenant ceremony of sorts happen. Now, it was very common in this day and age to, to make a covenant in this way. It sounds a little bit strange to us, but if there was a land deal or if you were buying livestock or if there was some kind of agreement that was being made between two parties, they would cut an animal in half and put it on opposite sides so that the blood would pull together. I know it's a little graphic and I apologize for that, but the symbolism here is really cool, so hang with me. The blood here would pull to the middle and create a blood path. And the two people, or the one person, depending on the arrangement, what kind of arrangement that it was, would then walk through the blood path. And what they were symbolizing in the presence of witnesses as they state the terms of the contract or of the deal or whatever it was, is that if I don't uphold my end of, of the deal, then may what happened to these animals happen to me. It's pretty extreme. Here's the most fascinating part about it in Genesis chapter 15, verse 12, as, as chapter 15, God tells Abram to do this. He cuts several animals and he sets them apart and, and, and the blood pools to the middle. And in verse 12, it says, as the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell on Abram and behold, a dreadful and great darkness fell upon him. And then at the moment when, when the individual or both people would walk through the blood path, it says in verse 17, when the sun had gone down and it was dark, behold, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between these pieces. A, a smoking fire pot and a flaming torch passed between the two pieces of the animal. It, it walked through, went through this blood path. Abram didn't go through the blood path. God did. 
the smoking pot, the, the fiery torch. They represent God making this covenant, walking through, promising that if the covenant is broken, he will be like these animals, broken with his blood pouring out. So when we come over here to communion, to what Jesus is instituting in this moment where he takes the bread and he breaks it, when he pours the cup, his representing his blood of the covenant, we all know that Israel was the one over and over again to turn their back on God, to walk away from God, to worship other idols. But Jesus came to fulfill the promise God made generations before because the covenant was broken. And he came and his body was broken and his blood was shed as the covenant demanded. There is such beauty in what God knew would happen from the very beginning when he made this covenant with Abram years ago. And this is what we remember every time that we take communion together. As we take the little piece of bread and we take a little piece of a little sip of the juice here. This is what we remember. We remember the covenant that we broke that God sent his son to pay the price for the covenant being broken. But it's not just remembering this covenant. It's a participation. And Paul points this out in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. He says, the covenant or the cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? There is this aspect, there is this truth that not only are we remembering what Jesus did on the cross all those many years ago, but we are participating in it with him. We are participating. Do you remember what Jesus says to his disciples? That if we want to be a disciple of him, that we will take up our cross and follow him. That there is a, a participation that we die to self and a participating in taking ourselves to the cross, dying to self as Jesus died, honoring the wishes of the Father. There's not just a remembering, but there's a participation. And the early church, guys, the early church considered this of the utmost importance. They practiced this on a regular basis, this act of communion, of breaking bread together in remembrance and participating in the death of Jesus. We get this idea in what breaking bread and communion looked like in the early church in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm sorry, let me back up for just a moment to Acts chapter 2 so we can see how they devoted themselves and made this a, a crucial aspect of their faith in the early church. In Acts chapter 2, verse 42, it says, And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship and the breaking of bread and the prayers. Right, they mainly devoted themselves to two things. If, if you look at how it's broken down here, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship. And within the fellowship involved the breaking of bread and prayers. When they gathered together, when they gathered to fellowship one with another, they broke bread together. They prayed for each other. They were there together in it with like-minded faith of, of brothers and sisters in Christ 
breaking bread and fellowshipping together. And, and, and when Scripture talks about this breaking of bread, they're not just referring to this time of communion and having a little piece of bread and a little, little bit of juice. This was a full meal. On a regular basis, they devoted themselves to eating together. They had dinners together. In the midst of the dinner, when they were breaking bread, then they would also remember what Jesus did on the cross and participate in it by breaking bread and, and taking of the cup together. We see this clearly uh, demonstrated in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 where, where Paul, in fact, criticizes the church in Corinth for abusing this moment and this sacred time together. He says, when you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. For in eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. Right? This is not just a little meal. Guys, nobody was going hungry because they didn't have a little wafer in the cup here. Or because they broke open a piece of bread and just had a little pinch of it. No, nobody was going hungry from that. Nobody was getting drunk from the little bit of wine in this cup. Don't worry, this is grape juice, it's not wine. Nobody was getting drunk from this. Right? This was a meal that they would have together on a regular basis. And Paul criticizes them for, for abusing it. He criticizes them for having this meal apart from the body, apart from, from the community that they're a part of. Because it wasn't just this moment that they sit back and, and quietly think about what God has done for them and then take communion on their own. And I can't imagine what Paul would have to say to us today that have boiled down this incredibly sacred moment of remembrance and participation into just a couple minutes where we do this individually and not together. This was not the way Jesus instituted this amazing tradition of communion into this world. Have you ever wondered why it's so hard in life to stay focused on Jesus? Why it's so hard when you go to work or when you're with your friends or, or, or when you're doing a hobby or, or when you're parenting or, or when you're dating or whatever you're doing in this moment, have you ever noticed how hard it is to stay focused in, on Jesus in different seasons of life, different times throughout the week? We blame it on a busy schedule. We blame it on the worldliness. We blame it on this, that, and the other thing, but what I am more and more convinced of is the reason it is so hard to stay focused on Jesus is because we are not observing communion in the way Scripture calls us to. Acts chapter 2, verse 46 says, And day by day, attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they receive the food with glad and generous hearts. Breaking bread again here involves not just communion, but a full meal together. And in that meal, together with brothers and sisters in Christ, remembering what Jesus did on the cross for us. And they did this not just once a week, not just occasionally, but daily, day by day. They were in each other's lives and they had meals together. We look at Hebrews chapter 10 that says, Do not forsake the gathering together as some are in the habit of doing. And we say, See, you should be in church every week. You don't need to be coming to church just once or twice a month. That's not enough. You need to be here every week. But guys, we are already a seventh less than what the early church was doing because we only meet for a little bit once a week. And we don't even have a meal together. 
We'll say hi to a few people coming in and going out. Or maybe we sneak in and sneak out without talking to anybody. But we are not in fellowship and in community with each other on a daily basis as Scripture calls us to. Can you imagine what that would be like if on a regular basis you had a meal with, people, with brothers and sisters in Christ? On a regular daily basis, you took time during that meal to just pause and say, guys, hey, we're just eating this meal together. I just want to break this bread in remembrance of what Jesus did for us on the cross. And would you take a sip of the drink of whatever you have with you as we remember his blood that was shed, the blood of the covenant that was shed on the cross for us? Can you imagine if we did that on a regular basis, how often, how, how much more our mind would be in tune with, with Jesus? How much more often we would think about him just as we go about our day-to-day lives? Can you imagine what that would be like? Every week we pause at the end of the message to have a couple minutes of reflection and to remember the death and resurrection of Jesus. And while this is very important, and I am so, so, so glad we do this every single week, we're going to pause at the end today also. But what I'd like to ask you to do is just to sit and think and reflect and meditate on what we've talked about this morning. What I've talked about this morning and this idea of communion and the connection to, to Passover and the covenant God made with, with Abram years ago and this idea of remembrance and participation. I, I want you just to, to think about it. And I want you to take that cup of communion that you grabbed on the way in and I want you to take it to lunch today. My guess is that you're going to leave this place and you're, you're going to go to lunch maybe with other people who are here, maybe with family, but you're going to go eat. And I want to encourage you, maybe if you don't have plans, to invite someone who's here to go to eat with them so you can practice this fellowship together. And then at some point in the meal, maybe when you're done with most of it or people are wrapping up eating, somebody just say, hey, we're going to pause for a moment. We're going to break bread together. We're going to take a drink together to remember the death of Christ and to participate. I want to challenge you to do that today. What I also want to challenge you to do is, is do that more consistently maybe for the next month. For, for a whole month, maybe it's just your own family, maybe you make an effort over the next month to invite some other people to join you for dinner, but I want to ask that you make an effort over the next month to do this on a regular basis and see by the end of the month if you don't start thinking of Christ a little bit more often in your day-to-day life. See how it changes your thought process as you go through life. See how it impacts your soul as you live life by doing this practice on a more regular basis. Because it is so important to be in fellowship with each other and to be remembering and participating in the death of Christ. If I could for just a second, let me talk to you guys, husbands, fathers. I want to lean on you to start this. This is one of the things of what it means to be a spiritual leader in your home because it's awkward. 
And it's going to be a little uncomfortable when you do this for the first time because most of us don't, right? I'll admit, we, we don't do this on a regular basis in our home. I'm preaching to myself here. And it's going to be awkward and it's going to be uncomfortable to start doing this on a regular basis. But that is what we are called to as spiritual leaders, husbands, fathers, to do that. Lean into the discomfort and the uncomfortability here of what, of what this moment is to push through to what it can be to bring us together into communion with each other and with God in this moment. If you're single or women, uh, this, this is not something only guys can do. You do it too. You lean in, you lead your family, lead your children and centering them on the table, on what it means to break bread together. Invite people over to your home. Remember and participate in the death of Jesus on a more regular basis. Father God, we are so grateful for the covenant that you made with Abram years ago, for paying the price for a broken covenant that we broke in your son, Jesus Christ for welcoming us all into your family, for giving us this incredible tradition of communion where we get to not just remember and take ourselves back to this place, but to participate in it. To participate in the tasting of the bread and the tasting of, of the juice of the drink that represents your body and your blood shed for us and the forgiveness Lord, give us the courage to do this on a more regular basis so that we can commune with each other and with you and participate in dying to self and living for you. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Uh, we are going to pause, and I'd like for you to reflect on the things that we've been talking about. If you would like prayer, I'm going to be down here. Other people from our prayer team would be, will be around, and then we're going to continue in worship. And if you want to talk to someone about this, please, please don't leave without talking to someone. Father, we lift up this moment, and we pray that your spirit speaks to our soul, speaks life into us, and pushes us to follow you in a deeper way this morning. And it's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray. Amen.